Thank you so much to Dan and our youth choir and instrumentalists for beautiful worship today. From singing under the bridge to the national anthem at the ballpark, they had a wonderful, wonderful week of missions and ministry, as, as you can well see. Turn your Bibles to 1 Samuel 28 as we continue our sermon series from the book of 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 28. We'll be going to a few other chapters as well, so if you'll just keep your, your Bibles open there in, in 1 Samuel. In Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, when I was just in elementary school, I decided that I was going to face, going to go through the house of horrors. Now, my father is a very thrifty man, let's put it that way, and he gave each of his children a certain number of tokens, and you could choose what amusement you were going to participate in. My older brother chose the roller coaster, but not I. I chose the horrible house of horrors. I slowly walked in. It was like yesterday. I walked in the black door that swung open. It kind of creaked shut, and I could hear my parents and my older brother's voices on the other side of the door, but there was a really narrow corridor, and you had to go forward, and it was pitch black, and I had to feel my way through, and I'm, I'm a little claustrophobic anyway, and I realized it was the mid-afternoon at the pavilion, and I was the only one in the house of Horus. There wasn't a group I could follow. There wasn't a voice I could trail behind. It was me and the spooks, right? Right there in the house of horrors and I'm feeling through and I guess you're you'd break a beam or something but I go so far and something would light up and jump out at me and and I just decided I cannot do this I cannot how deep how more narrow will it get how deep will this be and so I didn't know how to go forward I didn't know much about how to go backward but I decided going back was better than going forward surely it could only get worse as one moved deeper in this horrible house of horrors. And so I, I made my way back, and finally I got to the kind of the foyer of the house of horrors, and the plywood door, I could see a stream of light, though I knew all the ghosts were behind me and goblins, and surely they would come get me if I didn't get out. And so I started banging and screaming on the door, but my parents had moved to the exit, not the entrance, because... <laughs> They were going to meet me on the other side. And so, yeah, I teared up just a little bit, maybe. Remember, I was about three or something, 13, I don't know. And I was, I was, I was screaming and tearing up. And finally, my parents heard my voice after so long of never coming out. They went and got the high school attendant, and he opened the door. And my dad said, well, what's wrong with you? Why didn't you go through? My brother, who is much more spookish than I am, has never forgiven me because my father is a man of value. And if he had paid for a son to go through the horrible house of horrors, that meant my older brother had to go. And he went through the horrible house of horrors all, all alone. Big brothers do a lot for us sometimes, don't they? Alone, quiet, no voices. Some have said it was a story of a man who was dying on the inside out. With the outside still giving the, the world the impression of vitality. 
The strength of the Philistines at this point in 1 Samuel is still formidable. And, and Saul needs the help of God to face this terrible foe. Fighting the Philistines was nothing new for Saul. He had fought before and he had won. Turn back to chapter 14 and verse 47. This was business as usual for this king. Now, when Saul had taken the kingdom over Israel, he fought against all his enemies on every side. Against Moab, the sons of Ammon, Edom, the king of Zobah, the Philistines, and wherever he turned, he inflicted punishment and acted valiantly and defeated the Amalekites and delivered Israel from the hands of those who would plunder them. Verse 52. Now the war against the Philistines was severe all the days of Saul. And when Saul saw any mighty man or valiant man, he attached that man to his army. Even when the giant Philistine Goliath had taunted the army of God, God had provided the shepherd boy David, had he not? Why, all was going well with Saul. He was fighting and defeating all of God's enemies until disobedience. Saul had assumed the priestly office, you remember, and he was supposed to wait until Samuel the prophet arrived to offer the sacrifice, but, well, the troops were getting restless, and so he went ahead and started the sacrifice. He could not wait. Or when he was supposed to utterly destroy the Amalekites, and he didn't, he spared Agag and some of the choice animals, he was disobedient again. In fact, in chapter 16, we read, And Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed David in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. And Samuel arose and went to Ramah. Now the Spirit departed from Saul, and an evil spirit terrorized him. When we get to chapter 28, the Philistines once again are gathering their armed forces for war to fight against Israel. And the voice of God, the prophet Samuel, is dead. Israel has already grieved and had the funeral and buried him in his home city of Ramah. Saul had been busy trying to please and appease God by removing all the mediums, the spiritists, what we might call witches from the land, those who talk to other forces and powers rather than the Yahweh. Well, look at verse 5 of chapter 28. Saul saw the camp of the Philistines, and he was afraid, and his heart trembled greatly. He is a king, and kings are about battle. He had been victorious before, and now we have a king who's afraid to go to war. He's fearful. No longer does he have the help of David, his crackerjack warrior. He had ostracized David. In fact, at this point in the story, for a moment, David has actually, under guise, joined the Philistines, the enemy. And no longer does he have the voice of the prophet of God, Samuel, because Samuel is dead. And now Saul has no longer the voice, the peace, or the presence of God, and he is troubling and trembling of heart. Look at verse 6. One of the saddest verses of all the Old Testament. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or Urim or by the prophets. 
This verse has an awful hollow ring. Here's the king trying to connect with God, and God will not speak. In other days, God had given him dreams at night, and in those dreams, he discovered the will and the way of God. And when the dreams weren't working, he could cast the lots, draw the stones, the Urim and the Thummim, and hear, but no longer were they working for Saul. And there was no voice of the prophet, for the chief of prophets had died. God was silent, and Saul is alone. We have a desperate man here. He acts like a person who's diagnosed with a, a permanent illness. First, we do all the things that are, well, they're acceptable practices of medicine. And when those don't work, we search wider for an alternative treatment. And then finally, in the end, when we're utterly desperate, we will do anything, eat anything, take anything to try to heal ourselves from our malady. Well, when the approved religion worship of Yahweh was silent. Saul secretly goes into the night as a desperate man for the alternative religion, the witches, the mediums, and the spiritists. And he goes and he tries to call up Samuel. On the stage of the text now, it's dark. This is a seedy situation where the king of Israel should never be on the wrong side of town in darkness seeking a witch and her voice. That's precisely what the narrator wants you to see, isn't it? This Saul no longer acts like a king because, in fact, Saul no longer is king. David has already been chosen and anointed. He says in verse 8 to the witch of Endor, Conjure up for me, please, anybody I might ask for you. Now, don't you know that Saul has outlawed this sort of thing? I can't do this anymore. Are you trying to get me killed? She's testing. Oh, nothing will happen to you. Now, he's in disguise. She doesn't even know at this moment that it's the king. Nothing will, nothing will happen to you, says the king, in disguise. Well, who do you want me to call up for you? I want you to call up Samuel for me. She calls up Samuel, and the moment she brings up the old cantankerous prophet, she realizes it's the king in front of her. You have fooled me. You have tricked me. You're the king. You're Saul. Don't be afraid. Just tell me, what do you see? What does he look like? He's an old man, and he's in a robe. Well, then he knows it is Samuel. Samuel is not happy. Look at verse 15. And Samuel said to Saul, why have you disturbed me, bringing me up? I'm greatly distressed, for the Philistines are waging war against me, and God has departed from me and answers me no more, neither through the prophets or by the dreams. Therefore, I've called you that you may make known to me what I should do. Why is Saul summoning Samuel? Because Saul can only go to the past. The future belongs to David. You see that? Saul can only look backwards. Looking forwards is the story of David. He's caught between David, the king to be, and the Philistines as an enemy, and God is not talking, and Saul has no hope for the present. 
Well, Samuel is in death exactly like Samuel is in life. He is unaccommodating, he is unhelpful, he is incapable of understanding the predicament, and the initial word of Samuel, the cantankerous old prophet, well, it's not good. Why have you disturbed me from the dead? Saul says, I had no alternative. I had to do what I had to do, Saul. You understand? Samuel begins to review the record. The dead prophet begins to talk. And the record has not changed, Saul. You have been disobedient. And God has removed the kingship from you. And David will be the king. It's a harsh word. In fact, he says at the end of the speech that, in fact, I will see you tomorrow. Tomorrow you will be with me. Look at verse 19. Moreover, the Lord will also give over Israel along with you into the hands of the Philistines. Therefore, tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. Tomorrow you won't be in the land of the living. You'll be with me in the abode of the dead. We've got an appointment tomorrow, Saul, you don't know about. Wow. He awakens the cantankerous old prophet, and the prophet says, I will see you tomorrow, not in the land of the living, but in the land of the dead. God is unwavering. Can you imagine for a moment trying to reach out and God doesn't speak? Put in contemporary languages, he doesn't return your text, he doesn't answer your phone calls, he doesn't respond to email. You cry out to God and God is absolutely silent. Some of you have been there, like Saul. You pray out to God in your dire moment, and God seems to be absolutely absent. You go to God's Word, doesn't seem to speak. The words of your friends who also follow Christ, wise counsel, it falls on deaf ears. It seems as if for the moment that God is silent, God has locked the door, the sign has closed from open to closed, the light is out, and God is out of business for you. That's the way it was for Saul. Sometimes that's the way it seems for us. That we are alone in the dark, we are in the house of horrors, and we are groping our way back, like Saul. Saul becomes representative of so many of us who do not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father except by me. There is no other way. Like Saul, they run to the prophet or to the dreams or to the Urim or the Thummim, hoping that God will speak, and he does not speak. Some of you here this morning, God, in fact, has tried and is trying to speak to you. 
He has been available to you. He has called you through his spirit to come to the acknowledgement of Jesus Christ as his son. But you have said no and no to God, no to God's spirit. Until there won't be another opportunity, either death will come or the hardness of your own heart will deafen your ears. Reading 1 Samuel 28 as a church, as a people of God, excites us because we know that we can rejoice through Christ Jesus over the ever-presence of God and not a spirit of God that comes and goes like it did with Saul, but rather we as a people of God through the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we are literally indwelt by the Spirit of God. It doesn't come and go. It indwells and lingers and abides with us. Some of you here watching by way of television, you don't have that presence of God in your life. And you, like Saul, the desperate king this morning, would say that you are absolutely all alone. It doesn't have to be that way. Through Christ Jesus, crucifixion, resurrection, it doesn't have to be that way. But you are alone in your troubles. You're alone in your anxiety. You're alone in your despair. You're alone in your sickness. You're alone in your uncertainties. And you too are groping and feeling for any presence of the voice of God. The Philistines camping on the hill. You're about to square off head to head and toe to toe. God is silent. Ron Mel tells the story. He was a strong man that was facing an enemy beyond his strength. His young wife had become gravely ill. She suddenly passed away, leaving the really big man and the little daughter behind. Wide-eyed and flaxen hair she was. The service in the chapel was simple, heavy with grief, and after the burial in the small cemetery, the man's neighbors gathered around him and told him, you can't go back to that house, not now, not with her. You need to wait a few days. Come and stay with us. I, I thank you. I appreciate it, but we have to face where she was. We have to go back. We have to do this. My baby and I must face this eventually. So they returned, the big man and his little girl, to... Now what seemed like a very large, empty, and lifeless house. The man brought his little girl's bed in beside his bed so he could reach out and touch her. The first dark night together. As the minutes slipped by that night, the young girl was having a dreadful time sleeping. And so was her father. And, and what could pierce a, a man's heart more than the sobs of a little girl for her mother who would never, ever return. Long in the night, the little one continued to weep, and the, the big man reached down with his large hand, and he patted her and tried to comfort her. And after a while, she, she stopped crying, and he thought she'd fallen asleep. And he said out loud in a whisper as he looked up, I trust you, Father, but it, as, it is as dark as midnight. Hearing her dad's prayer, the little girl began to cry again. I thought you were asleep, baby. Papa, I did try. I, I was sorry for you, so I did try, but I, I couldn't go to sleep, Papa. Papa, have you ever known it so dark? 
Why, oh, I, Papa, I can't even see you. It's so dark. And then through her tears, the little girl whispered, but you love me even when it's dark, don't you, Papa? You love me even when I cannot see you, don't you? The man picked up the little girl and put her on his chest and held her till she fell asleep. And then he turned her prayer to her father, to his father, and he said, Father, it is as dark as midnight. I can't see you at all, but you love me. You love me even when it's dark. You love me even when I cannot see you. Sometimes God seems so far away. God, in fact, was not there to love Saul. He could not be found. Why are you bothering me? The prophet said to Saul, God has left you. God is gone. I want you to notice in verse 16 and following how many times the old cantankerous dead prophet uses the word Lord. And Samuel said, why then do you ask me since the Lord has departed from you? Verse 17, and the Lord has done according as he has spoke through me for the Lord. Verse 18, as you did not obey the Lord and did not execute his fierce wrath on Amalek. So the Lord, moreover the Lord, and then again verse 19, the Lord will give you over seven times. The Lord, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord. If the Lord is not with you, then I can't help you, Saul. Saul realizes what he's done, and he falls prostrate on the ground, and he is powerless. He's as good as dead, and he will not eat, and the witch convinces him to eat. It's a scene of a last meal. They kill the fattened calf, and they feed him. It's the last meal before his death, the war on the morrow, with the Philistines. Some of you here today, you've tried to do things your way, not God's way. You've tried to be obedient to your plan and not God's plan, much like Saul. You have not yielded to his voice. You have not received him through the death and the resurrection of his son. You were grasping out at anything other than the real thing. The only gospel, the only good news story, that God has loved us enough to come in the person of his son, die, and rise again. And in that power, we have the peace and the presence of God. Life for Saul had become a house of horrors, groping the horrible dark. Everyone who does not have a saving relationship to the death and resurrection of Jesus is merely groping in the horrible, impenetrable dark. He calls through his son. His spirit's here. It's available. Don't be like Saul. Act in obedience for the permanent presence of the ministry of the Spirit of God. Let us pray.
Sometimes, God, you seem so far away. Sometimes the dark is awfully black. Maybe there's some of your own children here this morning who feel like you're silent when they cry out. And I, I pray they're reminded today that they will never be in the position of Saul, for they are indwelt by your spirit. Maybe there's others today, oh God, some watching by way of television or some in this very sanctuary who need to say today, I want the good news. I want the God of the good news through the death and resurrection of his son. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Maybe you're here today and this is your day to say yes to the gospel of God gospel of Christ Jesus. You might say, Pastor, I don't even know how to start. Well, it's a real easy start. You're a sinner and you need a Savior. And that makes you just like me and just like everybody else in this room. There's nothing you can do to earn it or merit it. All you come and say, I'm a sinner and I'm tired of doing it my way. I want Jesus to be my Lord and my Savior. Or maybe you're here today and it's your day to come and be a part of this great fellowship this mission-minded fellowship called First Baptist Church, we'd invite you to come. 488, I'll meet you at the front if you have a decision to make. Stand together as we sing.
We're so grateful today for our leadership, for our youth choir. Youth choir, thank you for your leadership and your ministry this past week. I had the pleasure of accompanying them. And our shirts got a lot of looks, but if you think they're loud, you should have seen what Porter Wagner used to wear. They had that in display in Nashville, and uh, we had a, a wonderful time. And, and I know you're, you're blessed by our youth being here. I want to remind you quickly, if you're kindergarten, completed kindergarten through eighth grade, we've got a four, seven, eight football camp coming up very soon. Uh, begins on July the 6th. And so want to remind you that we only have spaces uh, for 100 children. So we want to encourage you to get online and make sure that happens. Also, the, coming this week, we have our in-town mission trip. Our associate pastor, Reed Reedus, has been working so hard to make sure that all of the de details are, are taken care of. So, Reed, come and tell us what's going to happen this week. Sometimes uh, God doesn't speak to us because he's waiting for us to have enough faith to obey him. Amen. And uh, we have an incredible opportunity to not let all these kids behind us have all the fun this week. Uh, we have a chance to love the city of Amarillo at the 2016 in-town mission trip. If you haven't signed up, you can just show up and work tomorrow. In fact, we need several more to do just that. Four things you need to know about the in-town mission trip. First is the kickoff worship service is tonight at 6 p.m. at Polk Street Methodist. So don't come here. There will be no activities here at First Baptist. We'll be at Polk Street at 6 uh, we are going to be delivering the diapers that you collected. You did a marvelous job of collecting lots of diapers uh, to the CareNet Crisis Pregnancy Center. And then on Wednesday night, also no activities, we'll have an ice cream fellowship at Central Church of Christ at 7 p.m. in their basement. So Sunday and Wednesday, first two things, nothing here, Polk Street and the Church of Christ. And then the, the bulk of our effort starts tomorrow morning at 8 a.m. We'll be at the Downtown Women's Center Gratitude House. If you don't know, they've been given the property that is just west of First Presbyterian Church. So the back of our western parking lot touches this property. And it's going to be a, an incredible transition home between uh, those who have uh, graduated rehab and now are going to be reunited with their children, those who have kids, and will get to live there for up to two years. Uh, right here uh, in our neighborhood at the end of our parking lot. We're going to be painting uh, those this week, starting at 8 a.m. tomorrow, all you need to do is show up with a brush and you're ready to go and something you don't want to get paint on. Oh, and by the way, it's in air conditioning all week, just so you know. And then the, the last thing, so that's it in the mornings. If you want, you can work there from 8 to 11. And the last thing is starting at 11 at Margaret Wills uh, off of Plains Boulevard, uh, Margaret Wills Elementary, and San Jacinto Elementary off of 6th Street, We'll host a block party at each location. We do a, a vacation Bible school type of program, and it, if you know VBS, it is a cakewalk compared to our VBS. We just need people to watch the snacks or walk around with a group of students and get to know them, pray for them. Many uh, have no church home, have, don't have a way to get to a VBS during the summer. It only goes from 11 a.m., 11 to 12 is lunch, and then only from 12 to 2 and it's over, and we really do need lots of folks to come. You can just show up, find somebody that's on staff here at First Baptist, and we'll get you started. So tonight, 6 p.m., Polk Street. Tomorrow, 8 a.m. at the Gratitude House, or 11 a.m. at one of the elementary schools. Hope you'll join us this week. Thank you. We're gonna ask some of our students who went this week to Nashville what their favorite part of the trip was. So students, if you'll gather quickly down here, and we'll go ahead and get started. What was the best part of the trip? Um, probably our last concert at the Nashville Rescue Mission. I was watching online. Y'all had really large 
crowds when y'all were singing, and I know it was a great ministry. What was your favorite part? Uh, the homeless concert that we did at the under the bridge. Thank you. What was your favorite part? Um, just the homeless, like singing for all the homeless people under the bridge. Y'all did a little more than sing, didn't you? You help distribute food. Yeah, we like put food in bags and handed it out, and they could come back if they needed more food and stuff. Thank you. What was the best part? I enjoyed the ball game when we went and sang the. <laughs> there, there's an honest lad who enjoyed the ball game. If you didn't see it on, they sang the national anthem at a really big, beautiful ballpark, and they sounded so good. And uh, did Nashville win the game? I did not hear. They did, but I was rooting for the other team because they were the Rangers AAA affiliate, and so, yeah. The other team was a AAA affiliate of the Rangers, and so you weren't pulling for Nashville. Sorry. <laughs> what, what was your favorite part of the trip? We went to Arkansas, the drive to Arkansas, and uh, my uncle and my aunt surprised me. Your uncle and aunt who live in Arkansas? So they lived in Alaska for four, uh, seven years, and I haven't even met them in a long time. So they surprised me. Oh, what a surprise. I hear they're going to be in Germany or something for a while. And so you, got to, you met relatives you didn't even know who were about to be in Germany for four years. Had to go to Arkansas to do that, did you? <laughs> to, to, to meet your Alaska family in Arkansas. That could be a book. Uh, you, thank you. I appreciate, appreciate the help. <laughs> I feel awfully small right now. Uh, one more. Okay. Thank you, sir. <laughs> now things are as they should be. Was, was that you dunking the basketball? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. What was your favorite part of the trip besides the dunk? Um, the line dancing when we went to the saloon. Uh, that was line aerobics, the young man said. He really enjoyed the line aerobics. Now, usually uh, really tall people aren't necessarily got the move and groove. You got it? I did. Yes, sir, I did. <laughs> I'm not going to doubt it. What was the best part of the trip? Uh, our project with community servants where we tore up a sidewalk and laid a new one. I saw sledgehammers. That was the real deal. Absolutely. And did, did, did y'all have somebody help you finish the concrete? Uh, a little bit. A guy helped us, uh, taught us how to do it, and then Shane helped us, but we mostly did it ourselves. Oh, so good. Y'all can go back to your seats. Thank you so much for your trip. I'm going to ask Nancy Stevens to come with her family and stand right over here. Nancy, we are so delighted that she comes to be a part of First Baptist Church, and some of her family was on that trip this week, and uh, we are so grateful that Nancy comes to be a part of our family. Jim Wagster, would you come with your family and stand right here? We are equally grateful that Jim comes to be a part of our church. Just stand beside Nancy right there, be part of our church family this morning. And I know that you'll say to those who come to be part of our church family this morning, Welcome to the family. Stand together for our closing prayer, then you come down here and welcome them and, and make them feel, feel welcome. God, that is what we are. We're family. Brothers and sisters in Christ, the elder being our parents in Christ, the younger being our children and those our age, our siblings. Siblings with the same Savior, we all call Jesus Lord. Father, we, we do thank you for blessing this trip. We're going everywhere from China to, to Hungary, Father, Dominican Republic this summer. So many trips, and we, we, we want your safety. We want your divine appointments. 
We want your peace in your presence. And Father, we pray that the lives that we touched while we were in Nashville will continue. That one plants the seeds, another waters. But God, we trust you to give the increase. Amen. You're dismissed.